Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 447. Oh, closing in on 450. You know how I like those every 50 shows. Oh, all right. This is a podcast where you're going to hear the truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today her hormones. I am so pleased to have my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Janice Carpenter on. And before we begin, just know that Solaray Vitamins is our show sponsor, and they have a brand new offering for women. It is the Her Life Stages lineup from menstruation through perimenopause, then menopause and postmenopause. These are herbals and vitamins that will help a woman navigate so many of these troublesome issues and symptoms that occur in each one of these stages of her life. Run on over to solaray.com, S-O-L-A-R-A-Y.com to learn more. And here's your first reminder to click on iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show because we love hearing from you. Your feedback is awesome. All right, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about Her. Oh my goodness gracious. So we're all about women's health, aren't we now? And one of the things that gives me so much delight and pleasure is to bring on experts well-known experts, credible experts in the field of women's health, one way or the other. Today's guest is Dr. Janet Carpenter, and she is most definitely someone I consider to be a national expert in the field. She's a clinical translational scientist and leading expert on menopause symptoms, and she has been studying this over 20 years having created the hot flash related daily interference scale now available in 20 languages. And this is a validated scale that I've used in my own research. And she's also conducted clinical trials, testing menopause symptom treatments. She is also just now coming off the board of the North American menopause society. And what I can tell you is that she's been honored, has won awards, and has been nationally recognized for her leadership within this field. Janet, welcome back to the Her Podcast. It is so nice to be here with you, Pam. Thanks for having me. All right, Janet. You know, I think that our fabulous intergenerational women's audience out there in the Her Podcast land could really benefit from some of our, how shall I say, sage advice. That's really code for, we've been around long enough to kind of figure this out, okay? Figure out a whole lot of things, and we've been living through history. As we talk about this today and reflect back on progress and challenges that still exist, let's start with some progress And this is within the field of research in women's health, 
and within the context of what goes on in society today with all of these different generations hopping in there from Gen Z to the millennials, right, to Gen X and clearly the boomers as well. So, you know, what comes to mind immediately? Oh, what immediately comes to mind is how much more attention is being brought to light on menopause. I think people are talking about it more. We're seeing newspaper articles, podcasts like yours about menopause. And that is just a wonderful thing that we are talking about menopause. But why weren't we before? I think it's taboo. It's something women were embarrassed about. We weren't really talking about our menstrual periods at all. And I think our younger generations are talking about menstrual periods. I think that's given some courage to some of us older folks to begin talking about menopause, menopausal changes. I think, too, you know, just the number of women reaching menopause has really skyrocketed. So more women are hitting this stage of life and wondering what the heck is going on and looking for information. And, you know, all that attention has gotten healthcare providers to be more aware of what they don't know. So we're seeing more people getting credentialed at the North American Menopause Society as a credentialed provider. And we're also seeing new treatments emerging for things like women's hot flashes. So all of that, I think, is really showing progress in the field over the last 20 years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think you know I was in a uh, documentary called Periodical, which is owned by MSNBC and is streaming on MSNBC right now, and then will be housed on their cable, which is Peacock. And in it, the activists right off the bat were the young women in the beginning of the documentary where they kind of started with menstrual first, and then they moved their way through perimenopause, menopause, and then postmenopause. And the young activists were saying, well, excuse me, why has there been no innovation in dealing with the symptoms of, say, for instance, PMS, also dealing with just menstrual cycles and better ways to do contraception and all the rest of it? And they're loud and proud, is what I can tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, with heavy emphasis on the loud. And it was really fascinating to watch so much of this. And then to, I think, to your point, you're right. They opened the door because now they're just openly talking about their menstrual cycles. They're saying, oh, my God, I'm having one of those days. And everyone says, hey, right there with you. I just had that last week. There's empathy and compassion for that because we already know that this is something that needs to be taken seriously. Productivity in the workplace, but also just her activities of daily living. I remember working around mine, I usually had about one good solid day's worth of misery because I had cramping and I had the whole thing going on and I could feel it coming on. You know, it was that feeling of really anxiety and moodiness and get out of my way kind of a thing. And then it just felt so good to sort of settle in once the menstrual cycle started See, here we are talking about it. It's like it's a normal thing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, what were you doing? Did you ever just like hang out with girlfriends and talk about it? Absolutely not. And in fact, I had a really difficult time with my menstrual periods. And 
didn't have a lot of empathy from healthcare providers and also didn't have much empathy from workplace, friends. I think there was more of a sense of, you know, suck it up. We all deal with this. Well, it turns out I had a couple things wrong. So ended up needing some surgery and different things to take care of some problems that I was going through. But it took a long time to get diagnosed. And I think, you know, in today's era, I don't think it would be quite as long to be diagnosed. And I think I would have been more willing to talk about it myself. And I think other people would have been more willing to listen and respond to those concerns that I had. I think, you know, sometimes these are little changes, right? Like I think about when I go into the restrooms now, you see a dispenser on the wall, usually with free products for women to use. And so it gives you a sense of feeling welcomed, right? That it normalizes having your menstruation. And it's little things like that that I think really make a big difference in our society. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Having a menstrual cycle is an absolutely natural, normal thing. It's part of our journey. But one of the things that happens is that if we're having issues around it, and we're just going to start with the menstrual cycle, many times in the past, I think that women were blown off by OBGYNs. It was like, well, whatever, you know, and to your point, suck it up. It's just part of, you know, whatever. But excuse me, we need a little relief. Why don't you innovate something to help us with relief? You know, we had the at-home stuff. You know, we put a hot water bottle on our tummy and try to feel better. But there had to be more. The prostaglandin inhibitors were actually incredibly helpful in so many regards. I actually used them for most of my menstrual cycle. And I was uh, very, very happy for those. They were just something that made my uterus just calm down here. That's the easiest way to put it. But at the end of the day, we were still blown off. And the same thing happened, you know, so interesting. The way I like to look at perimenopause, which is the time from 40 until roughly 52, nothing's exact here. There's a bell-shaped curve, but it's generally those 12 years you kind of look at When that time begins in a woman's life and she is going through an extremely slow wean off her sex hormones with estrogen being so terribly predominant, you know, what's interesting is that we have plenty to say, as it were, about menstrual cycles and fertility and pregnancy. But when it came to a woman finally hitting 40, she just fell off the cliff. It's like, see ya, and (laughs) nobody told her anything. I remember myself kind of stumbling in the dark about this. And when some of the symptoms started beginning to occur, and remember, perimenopause, menopause, these were all natural milestones and experiences in a woman's hormonal journey. They're natural. But it'd be really nice if someone could have given me a friggin' heads up. (laughs) It's like so many people have not done the research yet. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think, especially with the research, you know, when you look at how much research has been done over the last 70 years, 
it is amazing to me how much more has been done in the last 30 years compared to those first 40 years. Yes. It has just ballooned up. And I think we learn more. We think we know something and then we get to even deeper truths and we find ourselves correcting ourselves and what we knew before. So science is definitely expanding in this area. It would be nice if you know, there was more funding available for this topic of menopause. I think people have a lot of good ideas and are struggling to get some of that research funding. But, you know, that research brings new treatments. It brings us greater understanding of who's having severe symptoms, who's not having very many symptoms, and what kind of factors might help them that we could apply to other women. So there's a lot we can do with research in this area. One of my earliest memories when I hit the National Institutes of Health years ago as a senior research fellow was I asked an innocent question. It was, hey, how come women aren't included in more of these trials? And it was everything from cardiovascular, endocrine, you know, all kinds of fun things. There was this murmuring about, you know, studying women is difficult. And maybe you've heard this too, Jen. It's like, it's yes. difficult. I said, well, wait a minute now. Why is it difficult? And they said, oh, because they have periods. They have menstrual cycles. And, you know, it's a pain in the noogies to try to work around a menstrual cycle. We don't have that problem with men. And then I kindly reminded them. I said, well, somehow you're able to include female rats and female animals and work around those menstrual cycles what's up with humans? Dead silence. Then Bernadine Healy came along as the first director of the National Institutes of Health in general, first female director. She had this, you know, immediately right out of her mouth was, if a woman should be in a trial, if there is a condition that definitely involves women, then if she's not included, you're not getting a penny from the NIH. So I said, Hallelujah. Because for so long, we had actually been extrapolating from men to women. So we'd study men and just go, well, divide by two for women or something pretty asinine. I was just absolutely appalled. I couldn't believe that because uh, last time I looked, we're kind of different physiologically. So I was happy to see that there was this movement toward, but there was still this kind of undercurrent of, but they're kind of a pain to study. Did you ever hear that? Yeah, things had already started changing early in my research career with more emphasis on including women. And what always struck me about those comments is that, yes, women have periods for the first half of their lives. But for the second half of their lives, they're not having periods. And many, much of the research that was done, many of these studies included older women or should have included older women. But they were excluded on this basis of they have different hormones. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do with this? I think it just speaks to the lack of understanding that we had. And the value that women have had in our society for too long has been focused on reproduction childbearing, reproduction, child raising, and our society shifting. We are much older 
in the U.S. We're valuing older people more. We don't think that you should disappear at the age of 40 or 45 or 50, right? People are still very visible and should be and should be living vibrant lives. So I think all of that is coming together to raise more awareness about menopause, inclusion of women in research, the importance of focusing specifically on this condition in women. It affects every single woman around the world who lives to the midlife time of 40 to 60. There is nothing else that we can say affects all women like menopause does. 1.1 billion women will be in menopause by the year 2025. 1.1 billion women, that's globally. Does that blow your mind, Janet? Well, you know, I know that number. (laughs) And I think what blows my mind is how far behind we are on preparing healthcare providers to provide care and counsel to these women. Not everyone will need treatments for their symptoms, but women certainly need preventive medicine consults and good general health information, whether or not to go on calcium and vitamin D and how much exercise to get and what about their diets and weight and things like that. Many of these things can be handled by all kinds of different providers, right? Physicians assistants, nurse practitioners, physicians, And across all of those disciplines, we are woefully underprepared for the number of women that are in menopause. And I think care is shifting now away from obstetricians, gynecologists, and more towards primary care. Those primary care providers are seeing women with symptoms and wondering what the heck to do. And we need to get much more education out to healthcare providers. You know, we're getting the education out to women, and now that they're asking for the care, there's not always people to provide care for them. Well, here's a statistic then, just right off the bat. 6,000 women a day in the United States enter menopause. So it's important for us to kind of do some math and realize the millions of women every year who are entering menopause. But of the OBGYNs currently trained, Only 20% of them are certified in menopause management. And what's important about this is you're not just showing up at the age of 52 going, voila, no more menstrual cycles. No, if I were a woman who is now 40, I'd want to have a solid foundation. I want answers now. Tell me what's going on. I want a heads up. So if I'm 40 now, how do I make my transitioning between perimenopause to menopause and beyond, how do I optimize that? So that includes an entire lifestyle approach. It's not just about looking at a potential menopausal hormonal therapy, which is individualized for women now, or certainly should be. But it's also, you know, what's your nutrition? What's your physical activity? How are you sleeping? How do you uh, manage stress? Even mentioning the word spirituality, getting into the whole thing. I look at it, Janet, as an ecosystem. Each woman has her own personal ecosystem. Are we doing everything we can to help guide her 
to optimizing that ecosystem in a more holistic way. But currently, only 20% of OBGYNs really have the solid knowledge base to be able to have that conversation as it relates to this transition, which the other little tag along on this one is that this is a dynamic process. So you and I both know that one of the big harbingers of this transition in the perimenopause in the years when you're in your 40s is anxiety. It's anxiety sort of creeps up on you for a whole host of reasons. And it's an interesting thing. Most women think they're going out of their mind. And the answer is no, calm down, you're fine. But you do need to be able to sit down and examine everything in your life that may be exacerbating one of the symptoms and harbingers of this whole, you know, transition. Women need that information. So when I'm looking at this whole constellation or basically a trajectory for a woman to go through, we need more and more people to help guide to your point. We need more people. You know, I I kind of smile sardonically a bit because quite frankly, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, the issue of perimenopause, menopause, and then postmenopause bumps up against aging. So we have all of the stereotypes and the biases about the aging process, especially in women. Top that now with these hormonal transitions and you have yourself a challenging time. What do you think? I agree. And I also think, and top that off with women being completely unprepared for these changes. So I can't help but think, but some of that anxiety is around questions about what the heck is happening in my body. Because many women are completely caught off guard by menopause and menopausal symptoms, and they really shouldn't be. This should be, you know, something that women are expecting to happen. There's a lot of layers there. And I also think, you know, we talk about anxiety and irritability. And when our medical providers are gaslighting women, when friends and family don't want to talk about this situation, that makes people very irritable as well, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of layers, I think, going on in terms of you have these physiologic changes, you have how society responds to them, and that all affects how women are feeling, how supported they feel in this transition. One of the best things you can say to someone who's talking about menopause is to use that adage of, do you want to be heard, helped, or hugged, right? Because many women just want to talk about it. Some women need help finding information, and other people just want that tangible expression of support. So there's lots of easy things we can do to, to support our friends and family that are going through this transition. I love that. Heard, helped, or hugged. I, I just think that that kind of answers the whole thing. Each woman, you're absolutely right, needs something a little different. I'm someone who really would love, I'm a help person. Help me with, you know, the numbers I need to understand, the plan, the strategy for dealing with anything from just looking at my cardiovascular 
portfolio as well as bone health. You know, I want to understand all of this. I think the challenge right now, and you can tell me now as as we're looking forward, what are the big challenges? What are the hurdles? To your point, yes, we absolutely have more research going on. No question about that. But women need more and more and more. We're pushing forward. You know, we sort of say, well, there's so few people trained to be able to deal with menopause. Guess what? Divide that by about a thousand and you have the number of people dealing with aging. Okay. So there are like a handful of geriatricians out there for a whole host of reasons. And I think that, you know, we also bump up against a lot of the stereotypes and biases about aging women and aging per se. You know, you need to be able, all of us need to be able to recognize that as a significant challenge. We can't be playing around here. That's a significant challenge. You know, as you're talking, Pam, I realize we have this word geriatrician to describe an individual who is trained to handle the healthcare needs of older folks. And older is usually defined as older than 65, although some, you know, then we talk about people older than 80, people in their 90s. But we don't have a similar word for someone who's trained to care for people in midlife, men or women, right? Interesting. We don't have a middle attrition. (laughs) We have pediatricians and geriatricians. We have obstetricians and gynecologists for when we're pregnant and having children. But what about this whole other time that happens? I think we're going to primary care. We're going to internal medicine, family practitioners. But again, I don't think they're identifying with that age cohort like a geriatrician identifies with an age cohort. You know, maybe we need a whole new specialty to handle things. I don't know. Well, I, you know, medicine per se, and Lord knows I know this, has been so crisis-oriented, right? We wait for the problems to show up and then we hop on them because now we have something to chew on. But when it comes to prevention and being proactive, all I hear are crickets, dead silence out there. And yes, there's definitely been some progress here. No question about that. No question. However, that being said, (laughs) it's just... Where is the game plan? I'm a look forward person. I love a strategy, a, you know, a plan, a playbook. Crying out loud, help me here. So, you know, at any age, let's say if I was 55 right now, what does 60 feel like? What's 60? What should I know about the 60s? So the first thing I would tell people, you know, male or female, is that in the 60s, you will be bumping up against and experiencing in actual age-related change in your body composition. I don't care if you're a master's athlete or someone who's sitting around on a couch all day. You'll all experience it, obviously, to whatever degree, depending upon how fit you are. So that means the change that I'm describing is a drop in muscle mass called sarcopenia. The sarcoplasm is muscle and penia means not enough of. It would be lovely if everyone got that. Instead, I get these, you know, panicky phone calls. What is going on? 
my body fat just shot up and I'm kind of doing just about the same thing as I used to, although I'm kind of kicking back a little bit here. Note to self, you lose the wiggle room in your 60s. <laughs> and I happen to know this because I wrote a, you know, the full chapter on body composition in a woman from birth to, you know, death. I already knew that. So I was prepping for that one coming. But then I say to myself, well, that's three of us out of the whole world who knew what was going to be happening. What is going on with everyone else? We need a playbook. We need to be able to know, you know, what's going, what's the next stage look like? These are stages in a woman's life. I'm really glad you brought that up, Pam, because I think right now we are very focused on raising awareness about menopause, meaning the menopause transition, right? And in general, people are talking about as you're transitioning into a change in your periods, either longer, heavier cycles, more interrupted cycles, we think of that as perimenopause. And then you begin to have gaps in that 12 months within a period into postmenopause. And then I think most people are focusing on that first maybe seven to 10 years when people are having the most symptoms during menopause. So we've got maybe a 15-year age range that we're talking about this menopause transition. And we're getting more awareness in that spot, right? We're aware of some words now. Most people can talk about symptoms. People are looking for specialized providers. But we're not really talking about that extended postmenopausal period, which is really the rest of a woman's life and all of the changes that continue to happen during that postmenopause phase. When we're talking about menopause care, we do have to think about the middle time as well as into the rest of a woman's life. So I'm really glad you're bringing that up. And I think that's part of what we need to do a better job with in the future. Like you're saying, is really develop these strategies for people, care plans, goals of care, things that will take, people can see what the goal is and then really strive for that goal in the future and try and stay as healthy as possible for as long as possible. You're absolutely correct. And the one good thing I think that's beginning to happen now, I wish it was much more widespread, but hey, I'll take what the progress that we have is that there's so much more emphasis on healthy lifestyle change, you know, the healthy lifestyle habits. So we now have the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Who knew, right? We're talking more frequently about healthy eating and appropriate physical activity. Notice I don't use the E word a lot. I don't say exercise. I say physical activity. That means get up, assume the vertical and keep moving. Okay, I just, you know, <laughs> I always remember talking to Sister Genevieve Kunkel. She was one of the great nuns of the Notre Dame that were featured in a huge nun study that was done on longevity. I actually met her because, believe it or not, she lived in a convent in a city close to me. And so I actually went over and visited her. I have some great pictures. She comes up to about my belly button. She's just a little tiny amazing person who was, you know, well into her 90s. And I remember one day she was asked on the Today Show because she turned out to be a superb interviewee. People love to talk to her because she had quite the wit. And they said, well, what is the secret 
you know, to the success of your longevity. And she says, well, it's quite simple. I'm alert and I'm vertical. (laughs) (laughs) And I always remember that. So alert clearly means that her brain's, you know, cranking it. She's doing well. She got a master's degree like in her late 80s. She was just like kind of amazing. She was a teacher most of her life. So there you have it. And then the vertical part, it was hysterical. I have this great picture I'll share with you, Janet, where when I went over to have a picture taken with, you know, with her, she normally has a little cane that kind of helps her out, you know, helps her out. But for the picture, she says, you shall not see me with a cane. I am on my own. And I said, wow, now here's a woman with serious attitude. <laughs> I was just laughing. So whenever I just say, assume the vertical, I really give a major nod to where she was coming from because she never seen the inside of a gym. She wouldn't know a trainer if they knocked down the front door. She just simply was up and moving and being there for other people. And there wasn't enough hours in the day. There weren't enough hours in the day for her to be able to just do all the stuff she wanted to do every day because she was always doing for others, you know, which is a huge piece of longevity too, which is being of service to others. So I don't know. I just think that we've made a lot of progress in healthy living habits, which is foundational. So then we look at whatever stage of this whole journey we're in as women, whether it's menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause. We just optimize at the very least our lifestyle habits to be as healthy as possible because that's so critical to optimize our own health span, which are the years where we are robust and vital and can do so much of what we want to do that gives us joy. What do you think of that? Yes, absolutely. I strongly agree with that. You know, we sometimes in society, we blame people for their own illnesses. And I think, you know, menopause is a situation where you can be incredibly healthy and fit and active and engaged and menopause hits and you're confused and you're not sleeping and you're having hot flashes and you're developing new allergies and you know, it can really lead to a lot of changes. Sometimes those changes can really disrupt what your normal routine might be, right? Your normal sleep, eating, physical activity. And I think the more women are aware of that and can kind of plan for that, the better. It's hard sometimes, I think, especially for women that are working full-time to deal with all those menopause changes on top of a regular self-care routine, because that often needs to be recalibrated. I love that recalibrated and reset. You're absolutely right. Many women will come to me and they say, I'm doing something terribly wrong. I said, well, excuse me, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I picked up some of this soft fluffiness, you know, around my belly. And I feel, you know, I've been trying to do almost the same thing for so long and whatever. And I don't understand what I did wrong. Something's wrong with me. Then they sort of 
get into a guilt trip like I should have known. I should, you know, whatever. And I say, sit down, calm down here, have some tea. All right. Now, listen to me. First of all, you're going through the shape shifting that takes place in perimenopause, menopause. There's a body composition shape shifting. So yes, you will pick up a little bit more subcutaneous fat around the belly. How much depends upon how fit you are and what else you're doing. But if you want to try to minimize a lot of that, then to your point, Janet, you've got to recalibrate. You're now in a different stage of life. So what if this was happening when you're like 62, right? And that's exactly the age of the woman who was talking to me. And she's been taking great care of herself for decades. I've been following her for a long time. And then she was just miserable. She goes, I'm doing something terrible. I said, no, calm down, calm down. Take a breath. All right, here we go. You have dropped a little bit of lean body mass and you didn't know it. And relatively speaking, your body fat went up. And when the body fat goes up, it typically goes right around the subcutaneous fat of the abdomen. And she goes, that's what happened. I said, stop blaming yourself. We're going to now reset, recalibrate, and come up with a strategy that begins to really adapt and adjust to what just happened in this stage of your life. And she was so relieved. And she immediately stopped all the shaming, blaming, and guilting on herself which so many women go through, they obviously then start seeking quick fixes and just stay away from TikTok is all I can tell you. Just don't go there because you're just going to hear more misinformation and all the rest of it. As we draw this wonderful, wonderful fireside chat to a close, Janet, you know, you've had such an incredible career over so many years. Do you have hope that things will continue to get better in terms of our understanding and knowledge about women's health? I am a very hopeful person. So yes, I think that we're going to continue to see attention to women's health. I think we're going to have greater understanding of what's normal so that we can normalize a lot of these experiences. I think we'll have more research that will lead to new treatments for women who are, you know, the ones that are really suffering from symptoms. And I think we'll have more, we're going to see more supports for women in the workplace, in society, families, friends. So I'm hopeful that we'll be better able to support women at this time of transition. I'm feeling the same way, quite frankly. I think we have a lot of assertive clinical investigators out there. And we also have a lot of activists who are now shouting from the rooftops, listen to us, respect us, because that's what we deserve, respect. And we need more knowledge and we need more compassion about what we're going through. And then we'll be able to create together a strategy that I think is going to benefit everyone, both providers as well as the women that they are trying to help. I think that's kind of where it is. What do you think? I agree. All right. So we're agreeing, Janet. (laughs) I cannot begin to thank you for once again being on the Her Podcast to share your, your wisdom and to be able to give us hope 
that based upon your scholarly work and your understanding of the field, that will continue to progress, which is going to make us all feel so much better. So thank you for that, Janet. Well, thank you, Pam, for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I I just love it. And I'm so happy that you're doing this podcast to really educate people. I, I think it's just so wonderful. Thank you. Well, you're you're welcome, but you know, it takes a team. So this is why I bring people like you on, my wonderful friend Janet, to be able to share and impart so much knowledge and give women hope, to say the least. Everyone, we have been talking to Dr. Janet Carpenter. Dr. Carpenter is literally one of the nation's top leading experts and researchers in the field of women's health. And we're both, you know, we're, we're just, you and I, Janet, we're in it to win it. And we're going to be able to make a difference here, just keeping our nose to the grindstone. Thank you so much, Janet. Thank you, Pam. Have a wonderful week. All right, same to you. And everyone out there, please take a minute and hit iTunes right now. Rate and review this show because it was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And coming along right along that whole feeling is the sponsorship is by Solaray Vitamins, and they have Her Life Stages. And these are four products that basically help a woman through each of the life stages with evidence-based, credible herbals and combinations that will be able to help women through their menstrual issues, as well as perimenopausal, menopausal, and postmenopausal. There's even a little something in there for libido because that's in every stage. So that's all good. Her life stages. Run on over to solaray.com to learn more. Oh, this is just such a wonderful episode. I'm just sort of sitting here in the glow of it all. Well, listen, I'm Dr. Pam Peak, host of the Her Podcast, and I'm just thrilled you're here. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peak or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peak MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast on iTunes, Radio MD, Spotify, iHeart. I'm on all of them. Listen. Thanks for being here today and for listening. Take care and stay well.